Mm. I like to pet your stuffed animal. Some bobcats and antelopes. Mm. (laughs) Look at those horns. From Rosemary's Baby and Reggie McNeil to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stilling, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Ann Conley. Hi, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. For new listeners, this is going to be the format for our episode tonight. First, I'm going to introduce the movie we're going to be reviewing and rating. Next, Anne's going to go over our recommended drink pairing. Then we'll run through our expectations going into the watch. Next, we'll play the trailer and review the movie in roughly chronological order. After that, Helen's going to take us through our kill, chill, and thrill section. And finally, we'll wrap things up with our ratings. So tonight, we are going to be reviewing the 2018 found footage slash mockumentary Butterfly Kisses, starring Seth Adam Kallick, Rachel Armiger, Reed, Delisle, and a whole bunch of other people as themselves. In this movie, filmmaker Gavin York discovers a box of videotapes in his in-law's house that purports to show two filmmakers investigating a local urban legend that goes by the name of The Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom is a terrifying figure that lives in a tunnel where he moves ever closer to you as you blink until he is close enough to give you what's known as butterfly kisses. As he sets out to prove this story is real and release it as a work of his own, Gavin loses himself and the film crew following him into his project. Okay, so for tonight's drink pairing, we are sipping a lovely two vines Riesling from Washington State. And just to give you a little bit more context about this lovely, light, sweet little wine that we are sipping on, Two Vines Riesling is a refreshing wine distinguished by ripe peeping peach and apricot notes with a lingering, slightly sweet finish. Pair this wine with Thai food, Tex-Mex, or any other dish with a spicy kick, or creepy butterfly kisses, apparently. So enjoy those aromas of apricot, spiced peeping peach, and grapefruit leading to your lively, crisp, and yet subtly sweet finish. Yum. (laughs) I like that we got the peeping peach in there. We did get the peeping peach. (laughs) (laughs) Very appropriate. Cheers. 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 Ding. (laughs) All right, so let's move on to our expectations going into the watch. And why don't you give us your expectations? Okay, I didn't have much expectations with this one. All I knew was that this was a locally shot local film producer. I was excited to support him and his endeavors. You know, we had heard a a little bit about this being found footage material. I didn't know too much about that other, other than going into it. So yeah, I was just excited to kick back, relax, and see what was yet to come. Okay, Helen? I love found footage films, so I was super pumped to watch this one. And I don't think it disappointed me at all. So as a little backstory, the filmmaker, the director and writer of this movie reached out to us uh, over Facebook to ask us to review this film uh, a number of months ago when we were busy and couldn't get to it. And uh, so we finally came up in our in our rotation. And that's kind of why we decided to to review this movie. Now, unlike Helen, I don't like found footage movies that much. It's not my cup of tea. Of course, I went and saw the Blair Witch uh, project in the movie theaters, and I was not overly impressed with it. 
Um, so I had a little bit of apprehension going into watching this movie only because, you know, the creator had asked us to review it and already it's not my favorite subgenre of horror. So I don't want to have to come on to the podcast here and sort of rip this guy's uh, project apart um, if I didn't like it. But uh, we'll, we'll get into what I thought of the movie as we go forward. Well, as we know, Ray hates shaky cam. That's like your <laughs> nemesis, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm I, that a, that and the flash forwards flashbacks, which you also hate. Yeah, I don't like movies that start at the end. <laughs> um, well, at least this. Oh no, this did do that. It kind it of, did oh, both. No. It, it started of, at the end and the beginning. It oh, kind of no. did, but but I mean, in found footage, it's a little different because you're <laughs> it's part of the whole thing. So anyway, we'll, we'll, which is probably why you hate it. Yeah, that's part of the reason, maybe why I hate found footage. Yeah, <laughs> and aside much. from the shaky cam, it's not that I hate. I don't hate it. I just it's it has. To, it has to be done a specific kind of way for me to really enjoy it that much. But anyway. Yeah. I, I think there's some PTSD left over from Blair Witch probably a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There was so much snot in that one. So there's no snot here. <laughs> no, this is a snot-free film. No nose hair <laughs> close-ups yeah, happening ca- on this one. Yes. They, the found footage has come a long way since Blair Witch. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Anne, do you want to roll the trailer? Sure thing, right? Here we go. Trailer time and action. Behind me stands Ilchester Tunnel, a throughway for the B&O Railroad for over a century. But for the past 80 years, it has become something far more sinister. And the very first one that I pick up says, final solution. A young lady uh, identifies herself as Sophia Crane. And then it got a little upsetting after that. There's no cuts, there's no retakes, there's no calling for action. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that somebody is directing them. We have the possibility that this whole thing is real. And we have the possibility this whole thing is a largely plausible hoax. If you're working with all these elements, you can, journalistically speaking, you can construct your own story out of whatever footage you choose to, to, to put in there. I do not believe that this video is authentic. I think there's some acting involved, there's some effects involved. And I think that it's kind of disturbing that he feels that the only way to market this footage is to pretend it's real. This has been done a thousand times before and we think it's a scam. I'm not the only one, it's everyone. We're gonna take this footage to every professional in town that we can find. Ghost hunters, myth busters. We're going to go to the radio stations. We're going to the TV stations. We're going to show the footage and we're gonna saturate the market with this information. Then we're gonna to prove to the world that Peeping Tom exists. The camera doesn't lie. The film opens with the sound of a tape being inserted into a device and an image appearing of a room with a chair and a computer with drawings scrawled all over the wall. A female enters the scene and announces that she is Sophia Crane and that she is a film student and this video is her senior thesis. The date is March 3rd, 2004. She is uncertain of how long she will live and and that whoever finds the tape to apply the first and second half of her final interview to the beginning and endings of her film. She declares that the series of tapes are the story of Peeping Tom and her quest to find him. She also states she does not know how long she can go without blinking and to show the film to her parents. 
A decade later, Gavin York, a self-proclaimed filmmaker, is showing a film team around his in-law's house in which the tapes were discovered. After he repositioned the tapes for presentation, he pulls out a box that says, don't watch, and then states that, isn't this how all horror movies start? In a tape called The Final Solution, Gavin describes Sophia's emotional state and how it affected him in such a way that he immediately had to watch the remaining tapes. In the next tape, Rough Edit, the students couldn't figure out when to stop filming, so he took their film and finished it. He admits to not sleeping for a few days after watching it all. Okay, so this film starts, it opens up with that scene, like Ray was just saying, with Sophia Crane, black and white. And immediately, I was like, wait, what? Isn't this like 2004, right? I was like, why is it in black and white? I shot movies on that janky little, what do they call it, the mini DV, which... Uh, I totally have like super nostalgia for with the little mini VHSs and then you had to insert it right into the big VHS and it was mm -hmm. like, like the expander, the converter, like they said. And I was like, oh, I love this. And like, I used to shoot like a lot of student films and like when I was a kid and pretended that I was a newscaster. So I was really excited, but I had never seen grainy black and white footage from 2004 before. So I thought I was like caught a little off guard with that. What about you guys? I wasn't, but that's because I don't know anything about film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was as well. I saw the, the black and white, and I was like, wait a minute, why is it black and white? Like, it was my very first thought. And then later on, they just explained that they used black and white specifically. So I was actually really glad that they said that later on, because they, to your point, right, they specifically call it out that they shot it in the black and white for the purpose of it being a found footage-like film for the student project, which you're like... Oh, okay, cool. I mean, you can totally do those cheesy settings on your yeah camcorder where you can do black and white or sepia or whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. I've never seen anybody use that before, but sure, we'll go with it. And it definitely added to the whole ambiance. I don't think it dawned on me until after I watched it a second time that the artisticness of it also played into the fraud of it. Mm, you know? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the, the critic, one of the critics comes and says that one of the reasons they might have filmed it in black and white is you can hide the effects right. better. And right. I didn't think of it that way at the time. I kind of just thought it was an artistic flair. You know, how cool is it to do black and white? It's so dramatic. But then when he said that, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was smart. But I, I thought it was kind of this cool, mysterious opening, which we hadn't really seen before, where she sets the stage saying, hey, I'm sort of at my wit's end. This video I'm shooting right now is going to cut. And I want you to put the beginning of it, the beginning of my movie, and the second half of it, you will know when to make the cut at the end of the movie. And then it cuts. And you're just kind of like, oh, wow. Like, I thought that was a cool intro. Like, very much an immediate, like, tease right off the bat. And you're like, something clearly has already gone horribly wrong. Like, something's happening. I wanted more from it. But, you know, I thought it was a good tease at the beginning. What I also thought was interesting that she has this box the hidden box that says don't watch me now we don't know who wrote don't watch me on there i don't think no, i can't think remember so. if at yeah. the end you see all the writing on there but then she says show my parents so she's expecting someone to take the box watch it and then show her parents uh, yeah so you're kind of like yeah hey, it's kind of the yeah so to set this whole thing up you have this woman in 2004 who has these tapes and then you have a gavin who finds the tapes in 2015 so already the movie's sort of nested narratives He's being followed around by a documentary team who's documenting him making this movie that they filmed in 2004, supposedly, right? That's the whole thing. It's really a documentary with found footage in it, right? Yes. That's kind of more of kind of how the movie actually is. The actual 
sort of documentary isn't found, quote unquote found footage, although they share a lot of, of the same mm-hmm. sort of qualities. It's very interesting from immediately from that point of view, because you're like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? And so I appreciated that. And I liked that the Gavin character and the actor who who, are, who portrays him, he's a good actor, I think. Like, I think he does a really good job of coming off as overly eager, but sort of sincere at this point in the movie and sort of retrograde down to not being potentially a very nice guy towards the end of the movie, which I thought was pretty, pretty good. And you can even see it a little bit in these first scenes with him. Just to go back to your first point, I thought that was cool how you basically have the movie in a movie in a movie. And I thought that was really different for a found footage. I mean, like we were saying before, I basically thought it was like the inception of found footage, not the inception, but like the movie (laughs) inception. (laughs) Yeah, because it's layered. Right, because it's nested. And I thought it was cool how they actually had a lot of parallels between the found footage versus Gavin's story versus the overarching documentary. I thought it was cool how they really kind of layered those all together. So that's something I'd never really seen before. And like if you're into that sort of academic, intellectual, right, almost poetic paralleling of these storylines, I I thought that was very interesting. I think the second time I watched it, going back to Ray's point, was that, yes, he seemed sincere and he had very sincere eyes. I don't know why. But then I felt like he was also self-aggrandizing. So I didn't had I hadn't really picked up on it, but he's like, I'm a filmmaker and I'm like gonna break through and this is my second chance, which I didn't understand what his first chance was. It couldn't have been wedding films, but you know, I just I didn't like him the second time that I watched it earlier than the first time. I think he has delusions of grandeur to some extent. And you wonder how much in general filmmakers have to have sort of an arrogance about themselves or faith in themselves or sort of delusions of grandeur that they they can make it that forces them to, you know, get through the rough times so that they're going to get on the other side of that. To his point a little later in the movie about the money issues and all that, he clearly thinks he can punch through. that's true. And he may have had friends that punched through, you know what I mean? Right. But how many of them don't? His clothing annoyed me. I have to say he was a little too flashy. (laughs) But I guess that's like a marketing thing to say, hey, look at me, look at this project. Like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to sell it. I think you mean tacky. Yes, it's so shiny. (laughs) Oh, so bad. His wardrobe was so horrible and clearly intentionally so. So I thought the same thing, right? The idea that he's basically verbally propping himself up. They were like Mm self-affirmations, right? Where you were saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this. Which I was like, kudos to him. I thought that was really, yeah, sweet. The way that he was kind of like, I can do this. I can do this. What later you find out what's not so sweet about it is that he's ignoring his family. He's stealing. He's basically embezzling Mm -hmm. from his family. He's not supporting his wife and his child. And I don't know why the wife isn't working. So that's a whole separate storyline, clearly. But, you know, you wind up sort of unraveling his character. To your point, Ray, earlier, I mean, great actor. The way that they cast him, just like with a sweet face. And he's got like kind of those goofy teeth. And like, <laughs> you can't. so perfect. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help to, yeah, to, to kind of like like him, but sort of know that there's a little something off about him at the same time. And for me, this being locally filmed, you know, in the Maryland area, being from the Delaware, Pennsylvania area, reminded me very much of like a homebrew dude, you know, very very local yokel, very like can't dress himself, gets that white flashy satin tie and thinks that he's (laughs) hot shit. Meanwhile, you're just like, that is the tackiest thing I've ever seen. It came out of like a 1998 prom tux. (laughs) You need to send it back. 
The rough cut film opens with Sophia Crane introducing the Ilchester Tunnel, a throughway for the B&O Railway for over a century. Various people around Ellicott City discuss the numerous names of the entity that haunts the tunnel, Peeping Tom, Blink Man, Ilchester the Molester. A British man relays the story of the Flemingeist, shadows in your peripheral. The legend is to stand and stare unblinkingly for one hour at the trestle end of the tunnel at midnight, and Peeping Tom appears in front of you. Once you see him, you can't unsee him. Every time you blink, he gets closer and closer. At the end, his long eyelashes tickle you until you blink. Details of such stories are not verifiable. All right, so I just want to give a quick shout out to the B&O Railroad. Woo-woo! Local. Really appreciate that. The local Maryland sort of trivia. You've got Ilchester, which I've never heard of Ilchester before. There's definitely Chester County. Chester is a very, very local name. There are very various iterations of that. But the notion of this train tracks actually carved into a mountain through the mountain is certainly in these areas a very real thing. I mean, throughout Pennsylvania as well. What's the deal, Ray? Was there a little bit more behind this whole reality? Yeah, so apparently Eric, the writer and the director of the movie, was trying to find, he's, he's a local obviously in the Maryland area, was trying to find an appropriate locale for his superstition. And the Ilchester Tunnel was what he decided on. It is a tunnel that is purported to be haunted, but in a vague general sort of like teenagers go up there and it's scary type of haunted. It doesn't have a particular entity associated to it. Uh, and so he took that that location and embedded the Peeping Tom myth on top of it. So that's interesting. I had looked to see before you had found that information, what history there was on the Peeping Tom. And I don't know if this was something that the director had planned on doing beforehand, because in 2015, there's a YouTube video of a girl talking about the myth and how there's this backstory. Apparently, the backstory was supposed to be, and this is all obviously fake because he made this up, that a homeless man got hit by a train there. But that whole area is kind of has tragedy with like floodings and stuff. And there was a school up there that I think is abandoned, but I'm not really sure if all that's real or if it's just embedded in his fake story mm-hmm. i like the fake news i like fake news too when it's that you know yeah, yeah yeah like if it was intentional or not i mean that actually sounds pretty realistic so that's just actually sad yeah and but. the youtube video <laughs> mentioned like you know this is different because you don't hear of this particular type of myth mm-hmm. whereas you hear of like eight thousand different crybaby bridges but mm. then this is actually fake so i don't know if the youtube girl's fake or what <laughs> Well, that's kind of like the moral of this story. Like everything was backwards and inside out and that's upside down. And you're like, well, who's telling the truth? Who's telling the lie? How much of this is made up? Right? Mm-hmm. How much of this is based in reality? I mean, I was a little bit like Ilchester. That's the most ridiculous sounding thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and that turns out to be true. Yeah, it's interesting because this is the part of the movie where you really are introduced to Ilchester and, of course, Ellicott City. And this is a pretty standard found footage sort of thing. You get the montage of all the people kind of giving their two cents about the entity and what they think about him. And and even the, the actors are pretty good in that section. Um, there's like the teenage boys or whatever, which right. I thought were very funny. As we were going down, you know, down the path here of the movie, like I felt like that was very normal. And at this point, I don't think I quite realized that a lot of the movie was going to be Gavin and more like the ethical quandary of using somebody's tape and all that, that sort of thing to make your own movie versus just your standard sort of horror tale around found footage. So I was comfortable in this space in the movie, but they did a really good job. The other thing I thought was interesting was, and I don't know, I don't know if this was intentional and I have to believe it's intentional, is that Sophia, when she's in front of the camera, she is not as good of an actress 
as the rest of the people in the movie, right? So they're oh, they're asking her to be that. like act like a student actress, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like dumb it down some for us so it doesn't look that good. Mm-hmm. Um, which initially when she's in front of the camera the first time in the very first beginning of the movie, I was kind of like, Ugh. but I don't think she's supposed to be that good of an actress. Right, like, I mean, she's not supposed to be as comfortable in front of the camera because she's just kind of a student filmmaker, I guess. I don't know. I I was going to say the same. I thought that probably out of all the actors in the movie that she was the weakest. I think it goes back to the opening scene that we were talking about as well. Even sort of the shrieks that you hear in the trail of her cutting off her eyelids. You're like, eh. I mean, you're going to have very unnatural sounding like screams as you're literally cutting yourself off. But I, I thought she didn't seem as authentic. You just as you were saying that makes me think. I think I would just staple my eyelids up. (laughs) I think that's a quicker thing, and it would just happen faster. And I would—I don't know how capable I would be of actually slicing my eyelids off. I mean, spoiler alert: this is the end of the movie. But, (laughs) but um, I don't think I could do that. What are you stapling them into? I I don't know. I'm just—I would just staple them to the to my eyebrows. (laughs) Like what so, kind of you know I mean? like you're not using a swing line for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would just you know, well, it would hit the it would hit there. it would hit the bone, it would curve in, and it would staple your eyelids up. Mm, or it would go no, into the bone, it, it or it only would, curves yeah. in because the base of the stapler is shaped that way. No, well, I would it would do something. It would crack. I feel like nail gun might be better. I was option. gonna say yeah, nail yeah. gun. Well, but nail then gun, you you're gonna shatter your you're gonna blow your yeah anyway. Yeah. I mean, he might be doing the uh, lobotomy stapler. right at the same time. So the blank man won't, yeah, he won't bother you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could just blind yourself and that would be, that would take care of it too, probably. Well, didn't that person say that there was a person who yeah. theoretically blinded, blinded herself? Yeah, by looking into the sun. Yeah. Remember and that, that didn't piece? work because she could still blink so but she could feel his presence. She said he was there all the time. Yeah. Obviously, we're cutting way ahead, but like, spoiler alert. You're going to be haunted by him either way. Just kill yourself or deal with it. I mean, like how itchy were these eyelashes? You're you're going either way. And you want to live without eyelids? You want to live with your eyelids stapled? That's unsustainable. You'd have to spritz your eyes anyways. Yeah, I feel like there must be a lot of like more of a psychological component besides the fluttering eyelash feeling. But then I don't know if somebody kept butterfly kissing you and you can't get rid of them, maybe... I mean, maybe de- you would go and say it definitely drives me mad. I could see that, but then honestly, I mean, just me, I'd just kill myself. Yeah, I'd probably kill myself because I that having somebody hovering like that would, uh, I just I have a big bubble, I have a big zone. I'd, I'd make that. a video documentary <laughs> and then show it to my parents. Oh wait, <laughs> don't watch on the on the box. <laughs> Gavin states that the metadata indicates filming occurred between February fourteenth and March third of two thousand and four. He can find no record of Sophia and Feldman, Dr. Wolf, or the specialist seen throughout the film. This is corroborated by the Baltimore County Police, who state that they can locate no evidence that they ever existed. His best guess is that they are just making a film or that it is Gavin's film. Gavin believes the film to be real because there are no takes, no cuts, no calls for action, or that the people in the film were directed. Gavin claims that he is a real filmmaker and is not into making horror movies. He wants to get the truth out and believes that he can get the backing of local paranormal experts. The documentary team filming Gavin asks why he doesn't hand the tapes over instead of presenting the cleaned up version. Gavin wants to prove to the world that Peeping Tom exists. The camera doesn't lie. So I thought it was really interesting that, and I don't know how obviously filming works. I've never created a film, but they have these specialists on the found footage and they don't put the little tag on there saying who they are so you have that 
they said it was a potential ophthalmologist, but his book on the table says it's a neurology specialty or something. Yeah, and so were the posters behind him. It's funny you say that because I was like, aren't those photos of the brain behind him? Right. So why are you going to him as an expert for this whole blinking thing unless it is more of a neurological response and not necessarily an eye thing? <laughs> Here's my science where it's coming out. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's the, the guy didn't seem like he really researched the, the question that they had obviously it asked, but you don't hear the question because he gives this vague answer, which I did find a fun fact of in 2015, the longest amount of time that you did not blink was one hour and 5.61 seconds. Holy shit. So. Wow. That's a long time. So he could find Bill Chester the molester. One, one guy anyway. One guy. Michael Thomas. You have a mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Calling all Michael Thomases. <laughs> yeah, that's not the most common name in the world. <laughs> to, to the Ellicott City, Maryland region. I thought that was really cool how they had the specialists on there, though. I wasn't expecting that. I, I really kind of figured from the way that the movie was pacing and from it being like, a again, a student film and the whole found footage, the idea was that it was cheap. The idea was that it was gimmicky. So then when they actually had these interviews, quote unquote, whether you believe that they were real or not, they seemed very legitimate at the time. I thought that was a great pacing change. I thought that was great to like splice them in there and then you get these fresh faces, you get these fresh takes. We're talking about real things. Can people really blank? What's the deal? What's the folklore around the tunnel as well? Um, So I thought that was a really nice break the way that they pulled that in there and edited it in. I I think this part of the movie shows you, I think, Gavin's original sin, which is, you know, he's really not trying to put this movie together because he's a filmmaker and he wants to polish it up and make it look good. And he thinks Peeping Tom is right. I mean, he really wants to make money. He wants to make his fame. He wants fame. He wants, he, he, he wants to better himself in his career. And there's not anything, anything wrong with that per se, but I mean, he's using somebody else's work to do that. And, you know, the, the documentarian, I think it's the first time you, you hear the documentarian speak in the movie when there's asking him that question, kind of breaking the fourth wall in some respects, as far as the movie's concerned, because you haven't, you don't even know really who's behind the camera. God. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Eric. So in the, as far as the movie's concerned, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but True. yeah, so, so that's like, that's like the, uh, that's his like original sin, I guess. And that follows him throughout the rest of the movie, I feel like. You know, what I thought was interesting was the way that they hounded them as we were talking about sort of the meta about the movie making, right? How he went about the documentary. um, What was the footage that he chose to leave out? I mean, I felt like he just needed some good marketing and PR assist basically with what was going on because I thought his intentions were fine. The fact that he had found this, you know, whether you tweaked it or re-edited it and want to, you know, re-release it was fine. But I thought conceptually it'd be way more interesting to say, hey, you know, here's the documentary, here's the cleaned up version, but then release all the raw footage and make it like a fact-finding mission. Like let your viewers go into that and go along with it and explore it and get the blogs going, get the forms, like make it viral that way. I I mean, there's so many ways that that could have gone. I was like, that that would be cool. And to me, it felt like Trump trying to hide like his tax filings, right? That it's like, no, I don't want to release it. Like, just release them. Mm-hmm. It's not your information. It's not your place to say whether it's yay or nay or other. That's the point. That's the mystery. That could have been so cool. And he was his own worst enemy. 
I felt like in the whole thing at the end of the day. And you see that with him unraveling and getting more and more livid and trying to get these people to support him and not giving them enough details. And yeah, it was intense. It was interesting to me watching this too, because when we were first getting into the podcasting business, the very first podcast that I listened to on the how-to for podcasting was actually some dude recording a podcast about how podcasting had ruined his life. Oh. And he was actually on mic sobbing that he was now getting a divorce and that his whole life had fallen apart because he had neglected his family for the art of podcasting. So to me, I was like, holy cow. First of all, there's so many levels of weirdness with the fact that you're taking time out of your day to produce this, to put that message. It, it had been like months of radio silence for his fans or something like that. Um, so he was trying to get a message out to them. But sort of combining that with what was happening in this movie for me was like a very like, holy cow, like a very real moment where for artists, they almost get so absorbed in the art that they forget to see what's happening in their real life around them. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when you especially since I watched it a second time, the interviews with the mother-in-law and the wife took on a whole different feel to me. Oh. So originally I thought that the mother-in-law, like, yeah, she noticed that they were having some issues with like the money or whatever, but then she was selling the house. And I thought the house being sold was out of fear, not out of money issues. And I watched it the second time and I could see how uncomfortable the wife and the mother-in-law were. And then I realized they're uncomfortable over the money issues. This has nothing to do with the film that's being produced. Oh, you're so right. I thought the same thing when you first watch it. You're thinking it's because like this weird, mysterious haunting. But then you're like, well, the house isn't really right. haunted. It so was just the tapes were there. What's happening? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Well, we always appreciate a good movie when you even pick up more on a second or third view as well. Absolutely. So this is the section of the movie where we introduced to Matt Lake, who's the author of the weird Maryland, weird Pennsylvania the weird series books, I guess. Oh, my boyfriend? Oh, is the British guy, the British accent? Wait, shoot, did he have a British accent? I thought he did. Well, then double down, even sexier. <laughs> <laughs> I thought his eyes were a little too crazy-eyed. Oh. But then he does very weird books. And he had the taxidermy. Yeah. That was like, yeah. Which, was that even hotter, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> did we not watch, what was it, Lost Boys, where they're Lost shoving Boys, him in the yeah. closet? And I love that grandfather, too. Oh, Ooh. maybe you, maybe it's like a, do you have a grandfather complex? Maybe I just Does that have, exist? Maybe I just have a thing for taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I like to pet your stuffed animal. Some bobcats and antelopes. Mm. <laughs> Look at those horns. <laughs> I loved Matt Lake. I mean, it made me laugh because when they broke him out, and we have that book. We have Weird Pennsylvania, like wherever it is, somewhere in one of our bookcases. And I was like... No way. Is this the real guy? That's crazy. And we looked him up and it is. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, half the people in this movie are playing themselves, which is interesting. Matt was in it a lot. Yeah. I mean, he's basically a celebrity. And I was like, no, they couldn't have gotten him. And I, it still blows my mind that he was in it. Matt, we love you. We love your books. They're super cool. At a paranormal gathering to present the image of Peeping Tom, Margaret Perry Elrich, president of the Inspired Ghost Tracking, discusses her powers of influence by using social media. Gavin doesn't feel they need any more info than the portion of the film that he's showing them. Gavin thinks that both cameras filming each other disbunks that a third person was there. The paranormal team wants more evidence. Gavin has located the bar in which one of the found footage scenes was shot. He says it's his second chance to make it. His wedding filming is his way to pay the bills. 
the documentarian asks why he doesn't do the documentary instead of finishing someone else's work. Gavin thinks more people will believe it if he isn't the person behind the camera. Gavin finds the location of the folklore guy, whose name is Matt Lake, and wrote the weird books from the footage scene from the found footage movie. However, Lake admits that he vaguely remembers the interview from 10 years ago. Gavin is seen drawing numerous pictures of a no-blink symbol. Lake claims that his role was minimal in the documentary and doesn't remember specific details. Lake claims that Peeping Tom wasn't a strong story, which is why he never incorporated it into his books. Lake thinks the film is fake and Gavin has a slight meltdown over his film being discredited. He accuses Lake of being complicit in their disappearance. So I have to say, I love the paranormal group. If I had a dream job, it would be, and of course I'd have to get paid, but it would be totally paranormal investigating because I think it would be so much fun just going out and like trying to collect. I mean, obviously I'm a data person, so it collects my evidence and I would analyze it. It would be awesome. But then I looked at the group there and I was like, am, am I one of those? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed considerably less sexy. Yes. Than- yeah. No, yeah. I'd definitely be a sexy ghost hunter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, there might be a niche for that. Yeah. Like maybe a TV show out there. I know. You know, when we were at Penn State, they had this big Penn State ghost hunters crew that was eventually on TV. It was a TV show and yeah. Lorraine Warren was on there. Shut up, she I was watched on it. Yes, I did. I was going to say, was you, cool. you're about 15 years too late for the ghost hunting uh, no TV way, man. shows. That's, I think no, they, they, ghost might be, they might be coming, still a thing. They might be coming back, mm. maybe. I don't know. Sexy ghost hunters is always Zach Bagans is my sort of crush, even though he's like different. <laughs> Who's that? He's on Ghost Adventures and oh. he's he has a haunted mansion out in Las Vegas that I'm going to go visit with all of his artifacts. Oh, yes. like a real haunted mansion? Like I Not think the location might be haunted and then he whenever he does his ghost adventuring, he collects crap and puts it in this place. And oh. you have to sign a waiver. Wait, so in case like, spirits attached to you, is this like a the little Lawrence? off topic? I know, right? Don't don't shake at me. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, it sounds like he ripped that off of the Warrens. The old, he might have uh, ripped it off of the science, Warrens, science. but they're dead now. So he brought all what? their stuff at a yard sale. Exactly. I wonder if he's gonna take over the Annabelle like doll, <laughs> like the literal doll. But yeah, no. Um, that's my dream job, and. I'd be one of those people sitting in that theater. I love it. I'm already like wardrobing and accessorizing you so we can, you. we can figure it out yeah. for sure. I just want to talk about sort of the vernacular for a second as well because there were obviously in the synopsis, I was laughing so hard at the dysbunks reference. I mean. <laughs> it but, made me laugh too. Oh my gosh. So funny dysbunks. And I was like, wait, did he just? No, he didn't. Um, but the other thing I want to say that I thought was just really funny and like local vernacular was the somethings instead of the somethings. I didn't pick up on that. Oh, it was driving me crazy in the beginning of the movie. They're dropping the G's from all of their words. And it drives me even more nuts because my other boyfriend, Aaron Poole, totally called me out for not (laughs) using a G on something, which makes me sound like really low class and low brow. I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're sipping Riesling and reviewing a horror movie. So, you know, we we do our best. But, you know, it, it made me laugh because I guess maybe that's just a local thing. That's just a local pronunciation. It's very Philly, right? Like a very I you guess drop your G's in Philly. I, I yeah. I'm Delaware, so yeah. I pronounce everything correctly. Some some some, <laughs> some, some. So this is also the second time we see Matt Lake, and this is where Gavin's speaking to him and harasses him and and harasses him. And this is the only location that Gavin finds that's in 
the original uh, found footage. The bar. Films, don't forget about the bar. That that has a person attached to okay. it. Okay. Yeah, it right, has like fine. a person attached to it, right? Continue on. Um, yes. Yeah, several, <laughs> several peeping Tom, I guess, technically, <laughs> if you include peeping Tom. But but yeah, so in which I have some issues with from the standpoint of if these were really real people and the movie seems to indicate that they were then why wouldn't they exist and why wouldn't any of the other people exist and why would matt lake be the only person to exist and if he says that 10 years ago he talked to these people for a couple hours then either he's lying right or he did and they're real people what i thought was also interesting given that is that the blinking contest fellow gives his name miles something or other but he doesn't look for him you flat out have a full name and it doesn't really make it clear that that you looked for that person and said what his major was and everything <laughs> he can only blink for 15 minutes or not blink he's a failure failure at he's life. a failure he's no <laughs> michael thomas <laughs> michael thomas is calling you out um yeah i mean i thought that was part of the whole sort of like gimmicky like faux yet is it a real story type of thing so i thought that was kind of interesting how you have these characters and are they real are they not you know they're talking about going to the university and looking for the professor and nobody knows who you're talking about she's not on record okay i don't care this is not an fbi cover-up all right (laughs) if if she was a professor there she would be in right in the yearbooks in history in document in some kind of documentation she would exist on paper somewhere also this is still the age of the internet yes you'd be able to find these people as far as our original duo right sophia and feldman i mean i felt like and again sort of flashing forward you see sophia in the end in the mental ward the idea that she existed and and so on and so forth feldman I mean, I don't know, again, why can't they find him? They have this sort of faux recorded off of TV news release and so on and so forth. They don't have all this details, but they find Matt, right? They find this real person, this real author, which definitely gives credence to the fact that Sophia and Feldman were there. They spoke to him. They were real. He's real. Whether the professor is real or not, it to me, no, she was not real. She was a fake actress that they put in there and stuck her in an office and did five minutes on film with her. So I thought that was all interesting, the way that they had kind of woven it together. But then I think you have to believe then that it's all fake, right? Like Peeping Tom's fake. They created the entire, they were creating a false reality with the that found footage because why would they invent all of this fake stuff around all of that except for Matt Lake? Well, duh, yeah, of course it's all fake. But you but, have that big question, what happened to Gavin? Yeah, but that yeah, that's not how the movie seems to progress, yeah. Indicate, right? It seems to indicate <laughs> that he is real and you know, the other the other option of course is that Gavin is has done all this, has recorded all of this in an effort to make a movie, which also would mean that Peeping Tom was fake. And he right? like committed suicide because he didn't get the money well, and I, his I family left him. Yeah. I mean, but I don't understand his face. But you would think it would have been clear. Yeah, I feel like they tried to up the horror on that and they kept saying the documentary and Doctum, group yeah, yeah document whatever the whole team what's what are you seeing at the end of the tunnel when they were filming at the end like so they saw something that didn't appear to be gavin yeah but you never understand what they do see right. and also it's just like quote unquote haunted it's creepy i mean maybe it was gavin he was running off or whatever i mean they don't right. know what they that's saw. true and i did love how the staring eye contest guy said like it 
it's like the ultimate staring contest because you can't ever unsee it, which is exactly what the Peeping Tom is supposed to be doing. So it was kind of cool that they tied that in together. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Like with him staring, maybe you just see all the swirlies and, and they were all just seeing fake images of fog or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, like the whole thing seems so like ludicrously fake anyways. I just was enjoying the ride of it being like – you know, how much of it was mocked up was, again, uh, you know, Ferdinand slash Ferguson or Feldman <laughs> pulling the wool over Sophia's eyes. I thought that was a really interesting twist. That was, yeah, that was a movie. F- concept. Right, that he's this genius filmmaker. But again, that was testimony from the BS teacher. Remember? True, yeah. So you're kind of like consider the source. So I thought this was cool because to me it was very much like the movie Clue. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. If any of our listeners have not seen Clue, definitely watch that. It's so clever. You know, who who are you believing? Consider the source. Where are the people? What were they doing? Where were the tapes? Did he edit them? What are his motivations? What are her motivations? Um, so I was just like, yeah, for sure. They're just like having a fun time doing this. And it's very interesting. And there's probably some real folklore clearly mixed in to a certain extent, which gives them a springboard for this hypothesis. But um, no, I mean, the the only thing I couldn't really explain would be Sophia actually cutting off her eyelids and like driving herself crazy. And I guess, but, but she didn't. If that's the case, she didn't right, really do that. That's that's fake. fake. And then whatever video, but then whatever video they get at the end is also fake. Right. But I don't know who would have sent it to them because Gavin. Well, you could pre-send something, right? Yeah, I mean, Gavin would have. I mean, Gavin obviously sent it to them, but right. like, why would Gavin have it? How did he get and, it? Yeah, and the, unless and he the faked it. Notebook. Well, and like, who would really theoretically have psychiatric ward surveillance video? Not the public. I don't know. I just so you're thinking that he set up all those cameras in his hotel room and just left the tapes out to make it look like somebody stole the tapes or the discs for Gavin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a whole setup for him. I mean, for him, it would be like, let's just say he theoretically actually did commit suicide. I mean, I just assume the whole thing was fake. But let's just say if he actually theoretically did commit <laughs> suicide, that he set it up to just compound his legacy. So so you think his death was faked? That he wasn't really in the... Yeah, th- I mean, like... the whole thing was fake. So. Well, I mean, the movie's fake. I mean, obviously, the movie's fake. But the fake. police were there. <laughs> but like, So you think the documentarians so, so them the documentarians were... are faking it. Yeah. Which is the people making the movie, obviously. Now you're blowing my mind. Because, I had like this whole discussion because, because about obvious, the Because obviously it is fake. The movie is fake. The guy is an actor playing Gavin who obviously didn't die right. in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, but, thank goodness. But like if- Despite if, your bad wardrobe, thank God you're alive. Yeah. Which actually, a, a picture of him on, uh, I don't know. I like him IMDb better with the beard. actually looks nice. But. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I like him beard, bearded. He seems like a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I just, I think that they have a whole argument with the document team. I think he must be talking to Eric maybe about how he must have a name of somebody who can get him a source to get this movie going and it ends up taking him to the radio station, right? But he's like, I can't give you the name. It's like, I'm supposed to be on the other side of the camera. This is supposed to be legit. But I mean, he does give him obviously a name anyway. I just feel like why bring that up and why document it? If I can just interrupt for one second. Yes, you can. We're way over where we where we are as far as the, the readings concerned. Yeah, the plot. Yeah, and can, I'm just gonna so can I'm just, just gonna skip it. I'm just gonna summarize so we can talk about okay. the rest of the movie, I think, because we've already kind of gotten through yeah, most of it. Because it's all interwoven. So so Sophia and Feldman end up 
taking a camera and pointing it down the tunnel and leaving it as a um, replacement for an actual eye to try to find Peeping Tom and for an hour. And then the camera ends up capturing Peeping Tom and he's haunting the camera. And he also somehow is then also haunting Feldman because I guess he looked through the camera or something. I'm really sure they figure this out. And Feldman is watching all the places where Peeping Tom shows up when they've been randomly filming their um, student project. And then he like starts to, you know, do tests where he's turning the camera on and off and Peeping Tom gets closer and closer. And then at the end, he tells Sophia that Peeping Tom's going to come after her after he's done with him. And then he supposedly kills Feldman and then Peeping Tom goes after Sophia. And then Sophia, of course, makes her uh, her last video where she's going to cut her eyelids off uh, to stop herself from blinking. I got all that pretty good. Is that a good synopsis of what happens in there? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. On, on, on Gavin's front, Gavin, uh, as you alluded to Helen, Gavin ends up going broke as far as like getting people to support his film. And, uh, he goes to a studio to get it produced, but it's, you know, going to cost a lot of money. So he ends up taking the money out of his son's savings account to pay for that. And his wife finds out and his wife leaves him, takes his son away. So he has no family anymore to, pr to promote the film. He and the documentarian, uh, actually gives him information about this radio station, hooks him up with the, with the radio station. And then they get the, you know, creator of the Blair Witch project who plays himself to come on and, um, kind of trashes the film as well. And so, He's basically a bust as well. So he ends up going kind of batty and ends up going to Ilchester and trying to stare down and get Peeping Tom. And the documentarians show up and then he runs down the tunnel and they can't find him for nine days. They get a package in the mail that has the Feldman's notebook and it has a videotape, right? And so inside the notebook is a, a key card for a hotel. They go to the hotel, they find Gavin's body. Um, there are GoPro cameras set up, which don't have any discs, discs on it, yeah. yeah, any memory in them. So then they watch the tape, and the tape is a, is a tape of uh, Sophia in who knows what day. It doesn't look like she's 10 years older, but I don't know, but it's, it's color. And she's freaking out in a psychiatric ward. So that's pretty much the movie. Anything I missed? I don't think so. Okay. And discuss. And back. Yeah. And, and, and we're back. Okay, the one nuance I do not want to skip over that I did not like about the movie was the idea that they could use the camera as a human eyeball. So they call that out in the movie that it is a little bullshitty, which I totally agree with. The fact that you can just put the camera facing down, you know, the tunnel. And that's basically a proxy for this legend of keeping your eye open for an hour. I thought that was so kind of bullshitty and that the fact that you could so easily recreate this, literally what, what right, what we were like 10 minutes into the movie. And I'm like, why don't you just do it again? Like, why don't you just go put this stupid camera back on the tunnel again? Oh yeah, so, for Gavin to prove it. Like as soon as you know that's yeah. what happened, you're like, why can't I just go or down there? And but anybody. if he truly believed it, he would not want to do that. Why wouldn't you? If you truly believed it, wouldn't you, you be doing well, that like every night? Well, because you know you'd be dead if you didn't have a fallback solution. Well, well, this goes to the other point. Why would the camera, why would, if the, he's going to attack the camera or be on the camera, why is he haunting Feldman? Exactly. And maybe if it's because Feldman looked down into the camera while it was happening, but then right. why would he haunt Sophia after that? No, yeah, because her camera was facing his camera. <laughs> the whole thing was kind of... I thought yeah. it was not necessarily 
hey, you have to stare down this. Like I know the myth was, the, the legend is you stare for an hour. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the true story. So you could see that the film students were getting kind of obsessed with this notion as time goes on that Peeping Tom is existing. And as the obsession got worse, that's when Peeping Tom gets closer. So not necessarily I had to stare and then every time I blink he gets closer. It was like, and I think at one point Gavin says the closer I get to him is when he gets closer to killing me. So then he gets obsessed and now you're seeing Eric get obsessed at the very end. Yeah. I, so I kind of thought it was following an obsession, not necessarily that, hey, I stared down the tunnel for an hour. I, I have no issue with uh, the obsession idea. I think that's really cool. Like we said, you sort of start to get off your rocker or get a little mentally disturbed as you're going through this. But the the concept of the transference of a spirit, of that interaction, which is brought about you staring, the urban legend is staring down the tunnel. Let me just, you know, basically substitute that for a video camera. I thought was really sort of cheap that I know, but I appreciated that they addressed it and they called it out, mm-hmm. you know, blatantly in the video. So you're like, well, okay, at least they check that box sort of move. And then you accept it because that's really the premise of the movie. It doesn't matter, so to speak. But yes, I mean, also the idea that Feldman continues to experiment with his camera and let him get closer and closer and closer. Two things there. One, that didn't make any sense because you'd be like, if you're literally concerned and you're seeing the spirit in the camera, you're going to do it a few times and then you're going to stop. You're going to like trash the camera or whatever. And two, I really enjoyed the fact that they showed him right leaning in front of the camera and moving out in the football field and that those experts were trying to debunk that effect. Not disbunk? <laughs> or bunk? Disbunk. You're, you're going to get me really saying disbunk for real. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm going to go to work and say disbunk and everybody's going to think I'm a huge idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really debunk the idea that that this is authentic and that his face is, of course, just indeed hiding the individual, the special effect. Because, of course, why wouldn't you just turn the camera on and off and on and off and get him closer and closer? But then again, of course, you could just have a person that you're moving closer and closer. So, I don't know, it was a little catch-22-ish, which, which I thought was actually pretty cool. So one of the things this movie does, and I, and I don't know if I like it or if I'm annoyed by it, is it it pre-criticizes itself. Every Everything you want to complain about this, the actual movie, right, is complained about in the movie about the other pieces of the movie right the 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 found footage right Right. and that's cool in one respect but also is is that mean that you can't then criticize it for those things because it's calling out its own criticism you know what i mean Uh, about those things that aspect of it i mean this movie has the same faults as the the deconstruction of the subgenre it's it's talking about it didn't resolve the issues but it made it ironic right that they were calling it out within the movie about the movie and therefore dissolving some of the tension around those issues so i thought it was more for a general viewer who doesn't critique movies or know about filmmaking that you're saying if you didn't give that explanation you wouldn't know what to think of this but if you give that explanation, you have two sides that now you're conflicted of, is this real? Is this not real? Otherwise, you would have no reason to doubt it. Like, I wouldn't That's have fair. thought, hey, yeah. your face is in front of the camera to hide the guy. So playing the devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, inside the movie, you're right. I mean, as far as like, I don't want to say the non-deconstructive part of it, but the the just the movie itself in the narrative of, is it real? Isn't it real? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you're right. They're using the critics to uh, to give you that sort of both sides or let you right, kind of understand. Right, that knowledge that you might not knowledge, have. Right, to yeah. understand those things, right, to pull you one way or the other. 
to me, I'm I'm just talking about the meta layer of like, you know, he's making Eric, the real Eric, is making this movie to deconstruct the sort of subgenre of found footage, and so he's also using that. But his movie is a found footage movie, so you know, it's one of those. Things. I can't tell if this movie is smarter. I think it's smarter than than, than, me. than I am, or if it, <laughs> or if it's just. It's thrown so much stuff up there that I can't weed through it to figure out if it actually holds together or not. Yeah, I kind of – I appreciated the knowledge that he was giving me because I don't have that background. But then it did call into question a lot of the scenes, especially as they're driving her when she's in that teacher's office and you see him. Like, would you really have gone through and nitpicked that much to find those figures in the background to say, hey, that's it there? Because it was very grainy, like you said. Mm -hmm. So I I think that that helps me lean towards more of the this is fake – over mm-hmm. the this is real, even though I still have questions as to what the hell happened to Gavin. Yeah, no, I thought I agreed because I think on some level, like the pieces that they were calling out to your point, the car trick, right, of showing the guy and then the car swipes by and disappears. Immediately when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that's so gimmicky. And then they call it out and they're like, oh, that's such a gimmick. Right. And you're like, oh, burn. You know, so I thought they did do a really good job. Like I said, if, you know, whether it was to just, you know, throw up smoke and create confusion around it, call it out. Like I said, it for me, it really sort of dissolved the tension around it, which was why I kind of went like, they're calling it like it is. You know, this is like a real film within a film within a film. Like it's all bullshit. Yeah. And no, I can see that. That's why, like, I liked it for what it was because it was interesting. And then, of course, you know, the directors at the end of it, again, contextually struggling with the idea of <laughs> whether to produce it or not. I thought, you know, again, was an ironic twist. Yeah, I just had a tough time with if you believe that the found footage pieces are fake, then you believe these people aren't real people except for Lake. Like I go through that whole thing and I'm like, is is it needlessly compl- complicated yes. so that Gavin can't, you know, find the answers right. so that we have to have this thing And really it makes no sense if you actually, from the larger, the actual film perspective, not the film inside the film type of idea, but you have to make it this way so that it works. I don't know. And like that, that bothers me because it should have internal consistency within the movie at least, or at least it, it should, it shouldn't be both that peeping Tom's real and that Gavin died because of him. And also the found footage is fake because these people faked it. Unless that's actually what it was. I guess it could be that, but they don't lean one way or the other. In the right. Movie. Yeah. I think you're supposed to make your own judgment call. So you want, this is what's happening in the movie versus this is a guess. No, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I guess it, it or didn't. Too guessy. Is this too guessy? It's for too you? guessy. I guess that's my problem. It, it, <laughs> it lands on too much of the too guessy. I'm okay with some vagueness, but the, the the vagaries of the movie don't seem to line up in a way. I can't make the, them kind of work to, for Ooh, me. Vagaries. Vagaries. Is that, is that a real word? I think so. It is. Oh, yeah. wow. Not, word of the week. Word of the week. Yep. Vagaries. <laughs> and peeping peach. <laughs> yes, the vagaries of the peeping peach. Yeah, but I thought that's the. That's what this movie did well. I thought that was the cool point of the movie, that you have the story and the story and the story, and you're trying to figure out, wait, you know, where is my footing? Like, what makes sense? Who's spoofing who? Who's tricking who? Is Gavin in on it? Is he just trying to make a quick buck? Is he an idiot? Is he a mastermind? Like, it was cool that way. The movie Inception. When everyone saw it the first time, mm-hmm. they're like, oh my gosh, did the top fall over? Did the top spin forever? Was he really asleep? Was he not? 
his totem was never the top. It's his wedding ring. And if you watch it, you know when he's awake and when he's asleep because he's either wearing the wedding ring or not wearing the wedding ring. And that's the tell. And once you know that, you you can figure out what's real and not real in the movie. Like, I don't know if there's a tell in this movie that lets you figure out what is or isn't real. That movie didn't leave you vague once you understood that, you know? And so, so you think. Right. And I think all of our answers lies into what was in that Guinness. And we picked up. Oh, yeah, the bug or whatever he you picked, picked out of a, the Guinness. But he yeah. ate it. He ate it. I think That's it was, not a bug. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ew. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. You're right. That was weird. It was weird. I was like, who digs in their phone was, head? Whatever. I don't even know. Yeah. And picks it out because I don't drink beer and eats it. That That's was so weird. creepy and weird. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Now you've totally distracted me from whatever my next thought is because <laughs> I'm just thinking of beer foam head and eating gnats. Okay, so the one thing yeah. I did want to you know, definitely call out really quickly was one of the huge hypocrisies of the movie, which I loved and hated all at the same time, was our buddy Ed Sanchez calling in to the radio show to trash Gavin, trash this guy for purportedly positioning his film like it was real in order just to make a buck. And I was like, oh, oh, we've got, you know, the creator of Blair Witch Project throwing shade on this guy for supposedly creating a quote unquote real positioning as a real, you know, local folklore legend just so he can make a dollar. Oh, thank you, creator of Blair Witch, because that's not exactly what you did when you rolled out your film, made sweet millions of dollars on that. Then two months later, finally came out and they were like, oh, my God. Okay, just so everybody knows. People did not die while we were making this. This is not a real documentary. It is a mockumentary, so on and so forth. Oh, it was just like, oh, the levels of like pain and irony going on there as well were just so, I want to punch that guy in the face. But his beard was badass. Yes, that's fair. Loved it. The question I, I'd like to know is <laughs> when they had him on and they talked about, you know, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is a role you're going to play. You're going to play yourself and you're going to, you know, did they say, I want you to say this? And did he say it? And was he like, wait a minute, this kind of makes me seem like a total asshole. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a hypocrite. Or was he like, yes, this is part of the deconstruction of the subgenre to have the originator of the subgenre trashing the guy who's doing what you did. So in that way. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It was like love and hate like mixed all together because you just, oh, you're so mad at him for like picking on Gavin and you're just like, leave the kid, like leave him alone. Um, but it was, oh, it was such an like ironic, beautiful moment. The other portion I really liked was the discovery of the Morse code between the clips. Oh, I know, right? So you have this Morse code that the sound producer, I guess, is working on and he says, oh my gosh, it says blank. And then when he gets the close up, it looks like the figure of... Peeping Tom. So I didn't understand that. Oh, it was like the a silhouette. mapping of the tones. It yeah, like the, it was like the waveform. Yeah, mm. that, kind of like a visual. Like you get. I yeah, can, I can see it. I was like, I could see the silhouette. I didn't understand the technology, which was creating this quote-unquote visual of the right that was a bit of a stretch yeah i mean this is like let's let's throw in some ring japanese techno supernatural yeah. <laughs> stuff totally. in, in on top of everything you know he just oh, happens he just happens to be probably the only time he's ever been videotaped you know put morse code out there for some reason i liked it because i thought the little glitches kind of like made you think of his long lashes coming through the morse code was oh. super clever i thought <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretending to butterfly kiss Anne with my fingertips Ooh. 
uh, <laughs> a very long distance, so it's not working out well. <laughs> but I thought that was a pretty cool effect and how they dis- like discussed how difficult it would be for especially students to do this. Mm-hmm. And yet they used, if it was all fake, these practical effects of, you know, standing in front of the camera and, or making the camera move so that you'd see this figure pop in and pop out. I thought it was cool. I don't know that I felt like it fit with the supposed concept of Peeping Tom and what his whole deal was. I don't know that it didn't necessarily. I just didn't feel that it did. Unless, of course, you believe like Anne does, that the entire thing was fake. In which case, they're just making shit up anyway. And why not throw some audio Yeah, I mean, that that would be a pretty awesome thing to do. And we know that the guy was a genius. He was a seven-year senior scientist or senior – not scientist, but senior, 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 senior. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's possible that he'd be able to do it for for them to be perplexed. I think it called – their viewing of the situation into question, like whether or not they thought it was real at that time. Because they are they were looking at it like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like, this would be difficult to do. That guy was my favorite actor. The, the Beardo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the studio. That's, oh, I'm totally pulling away. The guy that was on the screen for like 30 seconds. Yes. By the way, By the way, he wasn't even an actor, so... He was, well, playing he was playing himself. himself. Well, he did a very bang up job of that. Yes. He was perfect. Yeah, he, he played, was so good. Played, played himself so good. well. I he liked so, all of the people yeah. behind the camera when they came out into the front of the camera. The <laughs> documentary they, squad. Yeah, the yeah. document squad. They were cool. Yeah, <laughs> squad goals. <laughs> <laughs> they were cool. Um, I love the people in the studio. I thought those guys. No, were cool. they were really awesome. Yeah, and very authentic. And obviously, paranormal people. If you if you need a friend. Helen Sturt's your girl. <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to move on to Kill, Chill, and Thrill yeah. so we can wrap this I thing think, up? I think we have to. I think we could continue to talk about this movie for like another two hours, but we've just got to wrap it up. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, g- give, give us the rundown, Helen. All right. So we do Kill, Chill, and Thrill. So you get to kill off your most hated character. You get to chill with the one that you think would be awesome to hang out with, and you get to have sex with whoever you want. Right. <laughs> you got like one female here. Yeah, I know. Two, maybe two. He's got the mom. One without eyelids. Oh, yeah, the mom. Mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the mole. Sexy mole. Mole, mole, mole. <laughs> so who would I kill? You know, I guess the easy choice, Gavin, he's he's pretty, he's probably the most awful person in the movie. So I'd probably kill him. That's easy. Chill. I'm going to chill with Matt Lake because he seems awesome. Just in general. In fact, a lot of the skeptic people that they had on were, were pretty cool. Our specialists or experts were pretty cool. Um, but I'm, I'm chill with Matt. And a, as far as thrill, I mean, like I said, there's not much of a choice here. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm going to go with Sophia, but um, Sophia with no eyelids. No, so she could see the whole thing. Let's just, you know what I mean. I if like you're, it. If you're, that's Ew, so wrong. That's so messed up. <laughs> that's really fucked up. Well, you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> oh my god, those are some dry eyes. All right, and your turn. It's making my eyes feel dry just thinking about it. All right, so for kill, um, you could probably have guessed it, but I'm definitely killing Ed. That jerk face from Blair Witch for calling out our boy Gavin. I just thought he was so unneedingly and, and understand that it was part of sort of this whole, you know, coming full circle, making fun of himself probably you, you, thing. You, you better hope that he didn't write his own lines. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he, he can come at me. So nevertheless, um, obviously just that level of hypocrisy cannot go unchecked. So I have to call him out for that. For chill... This was tough for me. Um, I chose Feldman to chill with just because I feel like if he's supposed to be this cinegraphic 
genius, then let's talk about it. Like, tell me, let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. And for thrill, I'm thrilling with my boy, Matt. Like, we're hanging out. We're having a good time. <laughs> we're getting weird in Pennsylvania. No, all right. <laughs> so for kill, I'd also kill Gavin for his little fits. Like, that whole done. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my God, you sound like my six-year-old. You're done. Get out. <laughs> Um, I would also hang out with Matt Lake because I just can't even imagine the stories that he have has to tell. And I don't know. There is also a hang like a toss up with the Paranormal Society because you know they're my new best friends. And thrill, I'd hang out or thrill with uh, Ferdinand. Wait, what's his name? Feldman. Feldman. Forget. Forget. I was about to call him Flamingo. I figure, you know, 2004, that's right around the time I graduated college. We're the same age technically. It makes it legal and safe and not awful. Assuming he's not dead. Right. Yeah, that's a problem. Swimming doesn't tape you. No, oh, which would I mean, certainly happen. Yeah. I mean, that could get fun if he doesn't share it. <laughs> that's right. You'd be getting weird in Pennsylvania, too. That's right. I'd be in that book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. The first is technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. Just how much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? So our scale goes from 1 to 10, with 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. And why don't you give us your rating first? Sure thing, right? So to roll through this pretty quickly, for technical, I gave this film a 7. I took off points for the eye light effect, and I took off points for Sophia's performance. But otherwise, I didn't think that this movie overextended. I didn't think it tried to do things that it couldn't do. I thought that the sort of sloppy, peeping Tom effect was the point so you know being a found footage they stayed very nicely within the confines of mimicable paranormal activity so to speak for impact i gave this a five i did not think it was very scary i wasn't scared at all during this movie but i am giving it points because we can talk so much about this movie. There are so many levels of depth with this movie. I mean, I could have easily given this movie like a two from a scary perspective, but I just thought that the interesting, like, again, we were talking about the plots and how they weave together, definitely boosted this street cred. And then at the end of the day, I gave the enjoyment an eight because I really like talking about all that stuff, as you can see. I mean, it's very interesting. What about this? What about that? What was real? What was fake? You know, how do they all interrelate to one another? I, I would totally watch this again, and I would even make friends watch this. All right, Helen. All right, so we all know that I love this movie. I love found footage, so this will not come as a shocker. For tech, I gave it an eight. I thought that they did everything that they intended to set out to do, and they explained anything that was kind of wishy-washy, which was really helpful to me, not knowing a lot of film stuff. For impact, I thought there was scary. Like, I thought the shadow creepy guy was scary. I thought when he popped out of scenes, he was scary. I also agree that it was well done enough that we can question everything. So I have no idea what was real and what was fake. I still keep changing my mind. So I gave that a seven. 
And then for impact, I already did impact. And then for enjoyment, (laughs) I gave that an eight because I watched it already twice and I would watch it again. My husband won't watch it again. So after that, he said never again and then told me he had to sleep with an adult that night because he was scared. And then when I turned the lights out, I kept thinking I saw peeping Tom shadows. So who knows? Maybe it'll be a real myth. As everyone knows from this podcast, um, I am not a fan of the found footage subgenre of horror so my score is going to be a little lower um for technical composition i'm giving it a six i I thought it was well made i don't know whether it's actually a horror movie though or a movie about making movies it's some combination uh for impact i am giving it a four uh it was not particularly scary there were one or two scenes i thought were were kind of scary and as far as the impact around the you know fake versus real and you know the documentary versus the found footage i i I don't know that i felt like i was impacted one way or the other so um i gave it a four and as far as enjoyment a five um i did enjoy the movie uh but I, i feel like unless there's some rosetta stone in there like somebody's wearing a wedding band like an inception and can kind of give me more i can't tell if the movie holds together or not and that kind of limits my enjoyment of it running through the scores really quickly as you guys could probably tell helen is rating this number one at 7.66 i'm coming next in line at 6.66 Ooh, <laughs> and ray is leading the bottom of the heap at a solid five which brings this film to an average of a 6.44 Okay, so that actually puts Butterfly Kisses in our number nine spot, uh, tied with Hellraiser. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that putting this sequel with Hellraiser, you know, Hellraiser had some funny ups and downs and idiosyncrasies with this. And this was totally different in so many different ways that it didn't have any of those like weird special effects and the blood goopy drippy. Like it had none of that. But this really had sort of more of that academic layer over it like as we talked about sort of the ins and outs and the interweaving plots and had a lot of cool discussions associated with it so yeah i would totally rate this where we did yeah one of the things that's interesting about this podcast and having a scale is and putting all these different types of horror movies on one continuum on continuum yeah because i mean in some ways you can't it's almost unfair sometimes to put some subgenres against other subgenres. Like, for instance, we talked about like Ghostbusters being funnier. And so it, it lends itself to sort of a higher rating because it's it's a funnier movie, right? Than some of these in like Terrifier, you know, being difficult to watch and therefore it sort of gets, it can, kind of lowers its its uh, score. I some. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, but, it, but it's interesting because I mean, you could find some people, there'd be another set of three people that could watch a Terrifier and say, you know, it's awful and that's what I like about it. And it's, it's, that's it's every so, movie. so difficult to watch and that's what makes it good. And they could rate it really high, you know. That's that's every movie. Everybody's allowed to have their own opinions and rate them whatever, wherever they want them to. But, you know, for us going through this saying what we like, what we don't like and where we'd want to watch them or not watch them again, I think that's totally valid. Yeah, no, I don't think it's not valid. I just think it's interesting. I just think it's interesting to see them all up on, on the board all sort of together. Yeah, for sure. We were joking that, you know, would we watch this again before we watched Hellraiser again? Some of us, yes. Some of us, no. Would we watch this again before we would watch The Shining? Some of us, yes. Some of us, no. The two movies sort of above this one. So 
it's yeah, it feels like pretty solid. So good job, Eric, on one of your first productions. I think he's in a couple of other films. Yeah, I think as this well. is his third, I believe. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So yeah, maybe we'll visit the site or even get to meet you someday. So good job, six point four four. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience, rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-hosts, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.